Friends and family, welcome back to Datages and our ongoing series devoted to business communications. I've given you three bonus datages regarding business communications in our last episode, and we'll give you bonus datages number four through seven today. All of this is part of our focus on the primary datage for this episode, which is communication is a two-way street. It can't be built on a one-lane road. Make sure you've checked out the first half of the episode and stick around for more datages advice. Business communication datage number four, good news travels fast. Bad news should travel deliberately. What? And so what? In this case, I'm going to give you several what's and so what's grouped together. Here's the good news about good news. It is human nature to share positive news as quickly as possible. We're wired to look for the positive feedback that comes along with doing so. And we should. People like good news, and I think it always serves business relationships well when you can keep people informed regarding good news. Let them in on the rush that comes with experiencing good things in real time. The only caveat I have here is to make sure that the news is accurate, fully accurate. Because of the tendency to share good news quickly, there's a risk of receiving good news from someone else prematurely. Quickly, good. Prematurely, bad. Make sure you don't accelerate the flow of prematurely good news within your organization or with your clients. This can be disastrous if that premature good news suddenly matures into bad news. On the bad news front, this is where more discipline is required. Unfortunately, it is also human nature to share bad news as quickly as possible. Misery loves company, as they say. This doesn't serve anyone well. No one in any position wants to be pummeled by incoming bad news. Even if you report to someone who says, if something goes wrong, I need you to tell me immediately, whoever that someone is, they're wrong. They're fooling themselves and misdirecting you. Here's what I mean when I talk about bad news traveling deliberately. I told my father once that one of the things I respected about him the most in business is his superpower, which is the ability to deliver bad news to someone in a way that they're willing to actually hear it. He's truly a master at this, and it is something that I've tried to learn from him and put into practice within my own professional communications. My learnings in this area have taught me the following. First, don't report bad news while you're still in an agitated state. If you're going to dump bad news on me, don't pile on top of that bad news with bad energy or a bad attitude. Dr. Mark Goulston addressed this in his book, Just Listen, as going from oh to okay. If we let the emotional stress, the fight or flight response that does not serve us subside, we can be more level-headed and clear of thought. That allows us to follow the second point. When you bring bad news, bring along with it an assessment of the impacts of the bad news in a best, likely, worst case framework. Anyone to whom you deliver the bad news will benefit from this further analysis on your part and will appreciate it. So they aren't experiencing the same, oh, moment that you did when you heard the bad news. It moves the receiver much more quickly to a logical framework for addressing the problem versus an emotional framework reacting to the news of the problem. And the third point goes hand in hand with the second. It is even better if you can bring along with the bad news and the outcomes assessment, 
some initial suggestions of actions that can repair or mitigate the damage associated with the bad news. This brings us to point number four, time your bad news delivery appropriately. It's important that you learn to quickly assess the complexity, scope, and urgency of any problem and determine how to balance the time you spend developing outcomes assessment and solutions versus the speed with which you report the problem. Further, don't deliver bad news at a moment in time when the recipient can't do anything about it. All you're going to do is stress out the recipient who has to live with that bad news until the time that something can be done. Don't call me at 5 p.m. on a Friday with bad news if it is something I can't address until Monday morning. That's what Mondays are built for. Actually, in my work, I find that it's what Tuesdays are built for. Most people reporting to me are getting bad news on a Monday and usually gets to me on Tuesday. This is the basis of another dadage we'll cover in the future about problem solving. That dadage is, don't sweat what happens on a Tuesday, just work to make sure it's better by Friday. Here's the fifth point. If you're fully or partially at fault for the bad news you're bringing, take accountability immediately upon presenting it. The person to whom you're reporting will respect this, and you will take them off the hook from having to blame you for the problem and then possibly feeling bad for having to do so. And finally, point six in the bad news delivery game, don't push the person you're delivering the news to for an immediate response. You're going to force them to act while they're still in the middle of the oh cascade, and you're likely to get either an unpleasant or an ineffective response. Now what? Here are some simple approaches you can try on for size when it comes to delivering bad news. For point one, all I can say is go read Just Listen. Dr. Goulston can explain far better than I can how to move from oh to okay. For point two, when you deliver bad news, try saying this and filling in the blanks. Before I brought this problem to you, I thought about the real impact so I could avoid sensationalizing the problem. I really feel like the worst outcome we could face here is blank. If we can address the issue promptly and effectively, there's a good chance we could see blank. If I were betting on the most likely outcome, I think it is blank. For point three, incorporate this kind of approach. You know, I haven't really had a chance to thoroughly vet every option we have to address this situation, but here are a couple of things I wanted to at least put on the table for your consideration and go on to do so. For point four, put yourself in the shoes of the recipient. Think carefully what they could do from their position if you deliver the news to them right now. If your boss is on the way to the hospital for the birth of his first child, you're simply going to have to bear the burden of this bad news yourself or find another way to address it in the next couple of days. For point five, work something like this into your delivery. This is partially my fault, you know. While I could not have controlled blank, I see in hindsight that I could have definitely blank. Once we get through this crisis, I'm going to take more time to unpack what happened and I'll do better in the future. For now, I'm here to help you in any way I can to find a resolution. For point six, here's a really good way to preempt bad news and stave off a knee-jerk response from the recipient. I have something to share with you, and I know this is the appropriate time to share it, but I'm not sharing it with any expectation of getting a response from you right here on this call. I'd like you to listen carefully to the full explanation. If you have any immediate thoughts, let's discuss those, but I'd like to hold off on making any real decisions until we have some time to process. We can go ahead and set a follow-up call before we get off the phone today. Does that sound okay to you? How we handle difficult situations can either break down professional relationships or present an opportunity to make them stronger. I hope the tools I've given you for handling bad news are helpful. Business communication dadage number five. 
Never ask a question to which you don't want the answer. What? I often say that an intelligent question is far more valuable than a smart answer. Questions are launching off points for entire discussions that can unfold into not only an exchange of significant and valuable information, but also build understanding and trust through the engagement that follows. But I have never believed the old saying, there's no such thing as a dumb question. I've heard lots of dumb questions. The key is being able to distinguish between productive questions and worthless questions. Even worse, there are some times that asking a question can even hurt if it is the wrong question asked at the wrong time. So what? Let's look at a couple of examples of what not to do when it comes to question asking. Avoid asking a question when the answer can reasonably be obtained without asking it. I have a humorous example from the home front to illustrate this point. I think at least once per month, my wife will ask me, what time is it? When she's holding her phone in her hand. Like I said, this is a silly example, but I've been asked questions almost this silly in a business setting. When I receive a question like this, it diminishes my opinion of the person who asks it. It signals intellectual laziness and a lack of proactive reasoning. I don't advise this in a professional setting if you want to be perceived as thoughtful, resourceful, and self-reliant. Next, don't ask a question that suggests something that you're not willing or able to do. To give you an example from my business, if one of my project managers met with a city, for example, and sat down with the traffic engineer on a project and asked that engineer, do we need to install a traffic light at the entrance to the project? That project manager better already know that the project budget can accommodate a traffic light. If he didn't know this and asked the question, he might have killed the project on the spot. Like I said, there's definitely such thing as a stupid question. And in a closely related point, don't ask an open-ended question if the answer really matters to you, because you're highly likely to get the answer you don't want. Let's go back to the traffic light example. If my project manager really needs an answer to the question and already knows that an affirmative answer spells death to the project, then he needs to frame the question in a way that he is most likely to get the answer that he needs. Two concepts I would recommend incorporating into a well-framed question are feasibility and precedent. If one of the outcomes is not feasible, that statement should be made in a well-founded way before the question is actually posed. If there's a highly relevant example of the favorable outcome, that example should be cited in asking the question as well. Here's an example of a great way to ask the traffic light question. We've run our pro forma with our tenant and our lender, and we've determined that unfortunately, if a traffic light is required at the entrance to this project, the project simply won't support it, and we will have to drop the development. The good news is that I've done lots of research with our traffic consultant, and we've identified two other projects within a mile of this site that are greater traffic generators where the city did not require a traffic light. Looking at these examples and knowing that this is a deal killer in this case, do you think you could support a recommendation to the Planning Commission that there's no traffic light needed here? I'm sure you can see how much better this approach is. Now what? Practice these techniques to improve your use of smart questions. One, think about a question before you ask it. Can I get the answer on my own? How long will it take to get the answer? Is there a risk I could get it wrong? How great is the downside for the wrong answer? If you can get the answer, if it won't take long enough that you'll seem lazy for not investing the time to get it, if you're pretty sure to get it right, and if there's low downside in the chance that you're wrong, don't ask. Two, 
Know the downside of the possible answers to a question you're about to ask. Do your homework to know if one of the possible answers could sink your ship. And three, on your own or with a colleague, role play through the ways that you can frame a question when asking it to increase the likelihood of getting the answer you want or need the first time. Remember this, it is much easier to shape someone's perspective before they make a decision than it is to change their mind after they've already made a decision. Business communication adage number six. Not every question requires an answer. Not every communication warrants a response. What? One of the fundamental principles of Aventine's corporate culture is this. At any given time, only communicate that information that is required to advance a discussion, process, or negotiation to the next step. You can always share more information later, but once information has been provided, it can't be taken back. Somebody put it to me this way before, you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. There are numerous cases where sharing information can be detrimental. In some cases in my business, the information we're dealing with is proprietary and confidential, and we may even be under written non-disclosure agreements preventing us from sharing certain information. In these cases, the negative consequences of sharing such information are quite obvious, but there are other cases that are not so obvious. These more subtle cases are situations where information can be used against you by another party. As they say, knowledge is power, and giving someone inappropriate knowledge too early in particular could be giving them power over you. And depending upon the motivations and the ethics of the person you have empowered, the results can actually be quite bad. So what? I've recently given this communication guideline regarding restraint when it comes to communications and information flow and name, the Hendrickson paradox. What's that? Well, Brian Hendrickson is an experienced project manager who works for my organization. One of Brian's greatest attributes is that he manages to combine the skill set of a seasoned project manager with a mindset that is focused on client service and trying to make people happy by doing his job to the best of his ability. So how is this a paradox? Because the old adage holds true. that You can't please everyone all the time. This is particularly true when you're involved in business dealings with third parties. Their motivations may not be aligned with yours, and sometimes they may actually be directly opposed to yours. While working on a project in Tennessee, against my guidance, Brian was motivated by a people-pleasing approach to communicate openly with the party on the other side of a transaction from us, a land seller in this case. Disclaimer here, don't worry, I told Brian he was going to be featured in this episode with the advice I'm sharing right now. I'm not publicly throwing him under the bus without his knowledge. Anyhow, on more than one occasion, Brian felt compelled to respond to communications with this party. And each time it damaged our dealings with the other party just a little bit more and reinforced an oppositional relationship structure when Brian's intent was to do exactly the opposite. He just wanted to be responsive to please them. Let me give you a specific example of the Hendrickson paradox that Brian and I have discussed at length. In this case, our development process on this particular project in Tennessee that I'm talking about required a lot of coordination and cooperation with the party that was selling us the property. The objectives of the seller were partially aligned with ours to the extent that they wanted us to close on the property. However, that's where the alignment ended. The seller's motivation was to get us to pay as much as possible for the property and to pay as much as possible to contribute to joint development costs. We determined through our due diligence that the project budget 
would not support the amount of contribution the seller sought from us. This led to a need to renegotiate and a disagreement between the parties ensued. When the seller recognized the gap between the parties, they tried to force us out of the deal and cancel the contract, which they couldn't do under the terms of the contract. All of this happened just prior to Christmas. On the day before Christmas weekend, the seller sent us a very forceful email demanding a response within a week. In such a circumstance, there was no means by which the seller could actually legally terminate the contract. And the best thing to do was just let the situation calm down over the holidays and regroup in the new year. This is precisely the circumstance to apply the dadage, not every communication warrants a response. So what did Brian do? Without discussion, like a knee-jerk reflex, he sent an email back to the seller informing him that he would receive our formal response after Christmas. Now, I want you to close your eyes for just a second. Just imagine yourself at your office, on the computer, on the Friday before Christmas. It's late in the afternoon. You're getting ready to go home and spend the holiday with your family. Now open your mind to recognize the feeling you have when I say these words to you. Expect our formal response after the holiday. What word would you put on your emotional response? Is it relaxed, happy, understanding, relieved, thankful? Or is it more along the lines of tense, worried, apprehensive, frustrated, mad? I imagine your emotional response is more in line with the second list. While Brian hoped to show respect for the seller through this prompt response, his prompt response probably eliminated the opportunity for the time over the holidays to provide a space for the seller to calm down. Sure enough, we got a very polarized, very forceful, and very uncooperative response from the seller right after the holidays. This matter would not be fully resolved until upcoming February, but I think we've dug ourselves a very deep hole and may not be able to climb out at this point. The deal may simply be dead. We'll see. Hopefully this helps you to see how meaningful these communication tips can actually be in complex business dealings. Now what? I'm going to give all of you verbatim the step-by-step thought process that I gave to Brian Hendrickson to help him navigate decisions regarding information flow and communication with third parties in the midst of business transactions. One, what is our objective? Two, what is the agenda of the other party? Three, where is the agenda of the other party aligned with our objective? Four, where is the agenda of the other party misaligned with our objective? Five, how can the other party interfere with our objective? Six, how could sharing the information that I have empower the other party to interfere? Seven, what specific benefit would I get from sharing this information with the other party that would outweigh any risk of interference? Eight, do I need to share this information now or can I wait to share it at a later date? Just pausing to ask these questions can mean the difference between pushing a deal ahead thoughtfully and potentially blowing the deal altogether. Just ask Brian. Business communication dadage number seven. No one appreciates a threat. Don't say what you're going to do, just do it. What? I think Nike got this one right. Just do it. This business dadage is certainly one I picked up from my own father. It goes hand in hand with his ability to deliver bad news so artfully. He knows when not to deliver bad news, particularly in an adverse circumstance where parties may be in conflict with one another. This relates back to the Hendrickson paradox and the circumstance I told you about. Telling the Tennessee seller that he should expect our formal response was delivering him a threat. Not intentionally, but a threat nonetheless. 
If you have to take action against someone, you're far better served just taking the action uh, rather than giving them the threat or warning that you're about to do so. So what? This adage probably applies most meaningfully in a legal circumstance. I mentioned at the top of the episode that we would get to this topic. Don't worry, that wasn't a threat, just foreshadowing. No one wants to be part of litigation, but it happens. When you find yourself in a conflict situation, particularly a legal conflict, remember that you can only disadvantage yourself by telling anyone you're dealing with what you plan to do. If you're going to send someone a formal default notice, just send it. If you have to file a legal action, just file it. This doesn't mean to avoid verbal communication with someone when you're in a dispute. Quite the opposite. Your conversation will actually be easier if you've already taken steps to protect yourself and enforce your rights, and you can humbly and proactively connect with someone once you've established a position of strength to present a reasonable nature and a desire to work collaboratively to find a mutually acceptable compromise. Once the bad thing has already happened, people can stop worrying about the bad thing and just focus on how to work through it. You've given the opposing party the opportunity to get past the oh moment we talked about and transition into okay. Okay in this case means it's time to just work this out. Now what? Here are a few things to consider regarding communications and actions in dispute circumstances, particularly legal matters. Dadage's disclaimer, I am not an attorney and I am not providing legal advice. These are just some business-minded suggestions when you're facing matters of litigation. First, is there a meaningful benefit to letting the person with whom you're dealing know about an action that you're planning to take? There are some deadlines that can be communicated without presenting a threat where parties can take positive actions to resolve a conflict or improve the overall situation. But I caution you that these are rare. Second, don't look for litigation as an outcome but don't be afraid of protecting your rights through the legal system. It's expensive and time-consuming, but it can be necessary in some instances where conflicts are so great that the potential impacts upon the parties involved make it highly unlikely that any compromise solution can be achieved. Third, you don't win litigation as a defendant. It is better to initiate the litigation preemptively if you're convinced it's coming your way. If you do get sued, I recommend that you determine if there's a countersuit that you need to file. This is where a good attorney becomes essential. Once you know that you are wrapped into a litigation matter, remember that everything you write in an email, on paper, or even in a text message is admissible in court as evidence. Keep confidential communications voice-to-voice -voice only and make a diligent practice of copying your attorney on any sensitive or confidential communications and writing in the subject line, attorney-client privileged communication. Implementing very tight procedures, understanding the rules of discovery in a legal setting can prevent you from inadvertently violating this business communication datage by telling someone through discovery something you had no intention of telling them at all. Like I said, try to avoid litigation if you can, but know that it is part of life and part of business. I went for about 23 years of my career without any litigation, but I found myself wrapped into five in the past two years. As I've lamented before, this is an unfortunate reality of the post-COVID world in which accountability is all but extinct. I hope I've done a worthy job today of channeling my inner Matt Abrahams and providing a what, so what, now what discussion of business communication advice and techniques. Like I said, my sincere hope is that all of you and the friends and family can put these action items to your use and develop your powers of communication within your own business. 
If you found this information helpful, have questions about anything I shared, feedback, or if you just want to tell me I'm completely nuts, I do want to hear from you. Email me, chat at datages.com, or hit us up on Instagram, LinkedIn, or Facebook, at Datages Advice. As always, I leave you with a dad joke. Today's joke is all about communications in a professional setting. A young woman is in a job interview, and the man interviewing her says, I see here on your resume that you majored in communications. No, I actually studied miscommunications. But right here on your resume, it clearly says communications. Exactly. <laughs> I'm hopeful that I've helped you avoid your communications becoming miscommunications. And I hope you enjoyed this particularly datageful episode of Datages. And until next time, remember, dad may not always know what he's talking about, but he sure can sound like he does.